0: If you'd open your Bibles to uh, Genesis nineteen, this will probably, this will definitely be the first week in Genesis nineteen, but uh, it it won't be the last. There's uh, at least one more, maybe two, depending on how we do, uh, how or how I do this morning uh, in the pulpit. But we're gonna we're gonna uh, read from Genesis nineteen, and then we will pray. We'll be praying this morning. for the Koti people in Mozambique, uh, 100,000 people uh, who are, are Islamic. Uh, if you follow the news at all, you know that the situation with Islam now, with uh, with ISIS, is developing, and uh, the the situation in North Africa between Muslims and Christians is uh, extremely tense, and uh, and very real persecution is is going on. Um, in, in the world, and so we want to pray that uh, that God might reach these uh, these, these people. Uh, it is it is interesting to note that when you, when you think about uh, terrorist or uh, persecution threats towards Christians, that uh, that as as the gospel was growing in the early church, that the greatest threat against the church, um, a man by the name of Saul, was mightily converted. Uh, brought to the Lord and then is in large part the reason why we have a New Testament from a human standpoint. Uh, and so as we pray for, uh, for those involved in ISIS, as we pray for the conversion of Muslims, we might be praying, we should be praying that God would raise up another Saul, uh, mighty men of God, uh, who, will, who will proclaim the name of Jesus throughout the world. And so this is not just prayer for protection of the church, but that, that God would work mightily and convert and change hearts and minds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity. Actually, I'm going to read Genesis 19. Sorry. I, didn't, I, didn't do, I said I was going to do it, and then I didn't do it. Uh, and then we're going to pray. Okay, Genesis 19, uh, starting in, in verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you seen anyone else? Have you anyone else here? "'Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away.' "'And Lot said to them, "'Oh no, my lords, behold, "'your servant has found favor in your sight, "'and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, "'but I cannot escape to the hills, "'lest the disaster overtake me and I die. "'Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, "'and it is a little one. "'Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? "'And my life will be saved.' He said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word, even when that word concerns judgment for sin. Because we find in judgment mercy mixed in. We find your mercy to those who repent and who put their faith and trust in you. Uh, no matter how wickedly they have act, acted. We pray, Father, that as we come here this morning, that, that we would be mindful of the fact that our sins are against you and they are exceedingly great, and that we all stand on a level playing field in terms of our sin, and that there is no person who is better than another except the one person the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank You that it's on the basis of His righteousness and not our own that we are saved. Father, we pray for these 100,000 people in Mozambique, Muslims who do not know You and do not know Your Word and do not know the saving name of Jesus Christ. And we pray that, that You, Father, would call them to Yourself. Change their hearts and minds. Father, deliver them from their sins. We pray the same for ourselves in the midst of our culture, that we would hear your word and that we would be transformed as we seek to bring the message of the gospel to them. Father, help us to read and to hear your word this morning with open our eyes and open minds and open hearts. May we be changed and challenged. We pray this in Jesus' name amen. Um, so a number of years ago, uh, when, when my wife and I uh, decided that, that it was time for me to go to seminary and get, get training to be a pastor, we moved down to uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, we lived in a, a section called the Central Basin, right? Isn't that what it was called? Uh, yeah, the, the Central Bowl. And so uh, South Carolina looks like this. It's kind of uh, mountainous, sort of, and then there's this central depression or basin there, and it's always kind of warm in the basin year-round. Winters aren't really, really bad. Uh, occasionally, we were there once, and it got really, really cold, like maybe cold enough to freeze our, our, our pipes, yeah, the window, right? Um, yeah, and uh, and, and so, so it was always warm there, and what that means is that, unlike where we came from in New Jersey, New York City area, uh, unlike there, um, cockroaches live year-round. They call them palmetto bugs, which my wife says is a euphemism for a big fat flying roach. Uh, and- and they would get they would get big. I would walk to campus at night to go to some of my classes, and you would see what you know how how leaves look in the dark, you know. And you you would see them, and then you would notice that they, the wind wasn't blowing, but they were moving out of your path as you came. Uh, I was I was cutting down a branch from a tree once, and I I got down, I climbed back up the ladder with a different tool, and there, when I come up eye level, is this giant palmetto bug staring at me, and I i am convinced that he leaped first you know and he and i'm like hanging onto this branch for dear life Uh, it was it was scary so i take a new jersey girl down to south carolina and we find that that in our house that had been abandoned for quite some time before we lived there that there were quite a number quite a large number of other occupants other than the the three human beings who had a right to live there um and, and so, rather than going the route of just calling the guy with the bug spray, I, I called Orkin. Um, and, uh, and this is not a product endorsement, but they, they came and did a great job uh, ridding our house of, of pests. We had some, some problems starting up. I had to complain and make some noise. And, and the, the, the manager finally came out, and he, like, sprayed our entire house down with stuff and filled the underside of our house with chemicals. And, and we're standing there talking about our... Um, the, the the service contract, and uh, and and he sees this cockroach walking along on the lawn. As our neighbor comes out, right, and our neighbor's like, "What are you doing? You know, what's going on?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, we got Orkin." And uh, and so the service guy puts his foot under this cockroach, and uh, and he and he and he flips the cockroach right, and it goes and it goes flying through. It's amazing. It's like skill of a of a football player here. Um, the cockroach lands on the roof of our neighbor's house. And my neighbor says, hey, what are you doing? We're going to get cockroaches. This is what he says. He says, buddy, you got the wrong view of the world. He said, I'm in here ridding this house of cockroaches, not because they're the only ones who've got them. He's like, You've already got cockroaches. You, you just don't know it yet, right? He was upset that that one roach might change the situation in his house. When the truth is that they were already there, right? Um, uh, wrong message based on what he saw going on 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 our lawn, right? I think I think it's possible that when we come to this text, that that in our particular cultural situation that that we might read the text and say this means something in particular and we might get the wrong message from it because it features uh, the the, the name of the city, Sodom and it it, it features the, the sin of homosexuality and we might think, ah, this is a text about the condemnation of homosexuality and I would say that that would be a wrong reading of the text. Now, maybe I have you sufficiently nervous. Um, you're going you're gonna to tune in. That's good. This might be a rhetorical device to get you to engage fully this morning. But I want to walk through and, and see what this description of the judgment of Sodom conveys to a believer, conveys to the wider culture, and how it ought to influence us and our prayer lives and our sharing of the gospel today. Uh, so that's a, a lofty goal, and I want to I jump right into it uh, and, and talk about it. You'll notice uh, the, the first 11 verses describe the visit of the angels to Sin City. Um, you'll remember that, that Abram refused to make an alliance with the king of Sodom because of the, the wickedness of that city, and so the city has a reputation for being sinful and far from God. The angels come to Sodom in the evening, and they find Lot... Abraham's nephew, who separated from Abraham because of the, the conflict between their, um, their, their, their shepherd men, their servants, uh, they separated. And, and Lot chose to move down towards Sodom. And now we find him sitting in the gate. What, is that, what does that mean, to sit in the gate? Uh, the gate was the, the central access to the city. And so people would come in and out. And rather than have city hall in the center of the city and a sign that says, welcome to Sodom or welcome to Salisbury. And then you got to drive downtown to get there. Uh, In these old style cities, city hall was right there at the front of the city. The the leader of the city would live near the gate and he would be in the gate. Now, why do I say Lot is the leader of the city or one of them? Um, Listen, Deuteronomy 22, verse 15, says that, the, that, 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 that in specific instances where judgment or discernment is needed, that they ought to go to the elders of the city in the gate. 2 Samuel 19, verse 8, says that the king, this is David, arose and took his seat in the gate. The king would leave the palace, the palace is where he lived, and he would go and hold court in the gate. be easy for you to find the king. It'd be easy to get an audience with him. You would just go right to him. Um, Proverbs 31, describing that, that kind of wonderful, unattainable uh, image of, of what it means to be the perfect Christian woman, right? Um, her husband, right? It's not enough that she is absolutely perfect. Um But, Proverbs 31, 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. When when this man walks into the gates, the leaders of the city say, that's a good guy, we like him. The gates are the center of influence in the city. Lot is sitting in the gate at Sodom. He doesn't just live in Sodom. He is a leader in Sodom. He might be the prominent leader. and We'll see that uh, in a moment, although he's probably not the king. He might be like the, the prime minister or head. Uh, uh, anyway, Lot sees these two men. They come into the city. It's interesting as you read the story, the, the, the term used to describe them, it's not angels consistently. They are called men in different places. So they are, they are uh, I believe we're supposed to understand that they are uh, supernatural beings, they may be uh, members of the Trinity that 's a possibility um, but but they are even though they are beings walking around, they are not like bright and shiny and intimidating like some angels are they they look like men, um, and so I think that 's what we 're supposed to to see that they that they look like human beings. Um, they, they come into the square and they, they make as if they're going to stay in the square overnight. Lot goes to them and says, no, 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 don't do that. He urges them out of the square into his house because he knows the wickedness of the city. Now, now Abraham uh, Lot descri- or displays the virtue of, of Abraham's people in that, in that he's very hospitable to them. He begins to, to prepare a feast. Um, They enter into his house, and they they eat unleavened bread, and there is this this, this feast going on. But as bedtime draws on, the men of the city who notice them come in, the the men of Sodom gather together, perhaps as they would do at night, every night, or when they notice new people in town. Uh, It says, all the people to the last man, all the men in the city, surround the house and they they knock on Lot's door and they say where are the men who came in bring them out that we may know them now some people in our um, what we would call uh, accepting and affirming culture would say this is kind of the the welcome wagon they want to bring these people out so that they can get to know them and have a conversation and and why is Lot hogging all the newcomers uh, and, and I would say from some angle that, that might kind of be true they might think that Lot has a plan of keeping these men to himself but not just because he wants to have a conversation with them because of the, the wickedness and immorality of the city it is clear that, that, the, that, the, that the men of the city have come because they want these men to come out that they might have relations with them Anyone who says this text says something else does not understand the context of the Old Testament or Genesis, okay? Genesis 4.1 says that Adam knew his wife, and she gives birth to Cain. Genesis 4.17, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Judges 19.25, if you want to move out into uh, uh, the larger context of the Old Testament and talk about uh, uh, how the word know is used and see a situation very similar perhaps one which is designed to echo this very situation and to convey so that, so that we would understand these things as two parallel images of wickedness Genesis, uh, Judges 19.25 says that they knew her the, the, the concubine of the Levite in, in this particular city now something's going on in Sodom The the cry of the people surrounding Sodom has arisen to the Lord, it says in Genesis 18. And God has come down to inspect and to see if the wickedness of the city is so. And the wickedness of the city is full. It has risen to the level of judgment. And one of the reasons why we can say that it has is because we see abundant, rampant homosexual behavior. This is not very politically correct to say. Uh, there are probably some people. Maybe you're, if you're, if you've got uh, one foot in the foot in the world and, and one foot in the church, you might be thinking this is very, very, very bad. Why are you saying this? But but I think that faithfulness to the scriptures demands that that we say this. Let me let me let me make the case for this. If you look at Romans chapter one, we see the reason why uh, why we could say that this is, is, is at, at the height of the sinfulness of the culture. Now this is not to say that this sin is radically different in terms of its offense against God um, than other sins. Because I don't believe that's true. I think that, that theft and idolatry and in ungratitude and gossip and hate, I think that they are all equally offensive against god in terms of their heinousness but there is a a symbolic nature to to the sin of homosexuality that says i am not what you made me i reject what you made me this does not mean that there that there are not those believers who 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 when they come to christ they have to repent of these desires and then they struggle with them I believe that's a very legitimate thing, that there are people who struggle with this attraction. And I believe that there are also people who struggle with an attraction to steal, or to be lazy, or to be anger, angry, or they struggle with the temptation to drunkenness. And yet, the, the Scriptures teach that the fruit of the, the Holy Spirit is self-control. So this is not one sin among all others that, that, that demonstrates, like, or that is, that is absolutely wicked and cannot be forgiven. Cannot be cannot be dealt with, but what we see in the scriptures that that when there is a prominence of homosexual behavior, it says something about a culture. I have lost my notes on Romans one. Oh, here we are. Um, let me let me let me point something out about symbolic sins. Okay, in Deuteronomy twenty eight fifteen, and this is going to get graphic in a different way, um, but I, I will try to be. Um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be appropriate here. I'm just gonna explain what's going on. As as God is explaining the law of, of the land to the people, and he's saying, He's saying, This is how you are going to remain on the land, and here's how you're going to be removed if you if you sin against me. He gives them some, some symbolic notion of 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 how they're going to know that judgment is coming upon them. Deuteronomy 28.15. 15. Listen. If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Your enemies will besiege you in your towns. Your high and fortified walls in which you trusted will come down throughout your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Now listen, okay, because here's where it gets like, oh no, listen, this is, this is crazy. But here's a symbol. This is a sign to the people. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress of which your enemies shall distress you. The, the, the image here, and this is in the Bible, is that when things get this bad, you will know how bad things are in the culture, and you will know that the judgment of the Lord is going to come crashing down on you. Imagine a, an enormous tsunami wave going out and, and just building and picking up steam, and the culture sitting there saying, well, God's not judged us for our sins yet. He's not judged us yet. He's not judged us yet. Where's the judgment? of The Lord's never coming. But the wave is going out and building and building and building. And it is going to come crashing down. And one symbol of it, one sign of it, is this. The, the desperateness of famine that would lead a family to eat their own children. Second Kings 6.24 describes a, a, a siege of the Samaria, the, the ruling city of the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, the siege gets so bad that there's a great famine. As as the enemy besieged it, uh, a donkey's head to eat was sold for eighty shekels of silver. That's that's a massive amount of money. We're we're selling donkey head. That's on the menu. Like, has anybody ever eaten donkey head? Right. This is not a desirable cut of meat. Nancy's never like. What should we eat for Easter? You know, she's she's thinking. Should we eat ham? Yes. Should we eat chicken? Should we have lamb? Right. She's never like. What do you think about? It? donkey head this year right so so donkey head is is selling the fourth part of a cob this is a a small unit of measurement of dove's dung for five shekels of silver like we are eating nasty stuff at this point The king of Israel was passing by on the wall. He's he's walking the walls, inspecting the siege, and a woman cries out to him saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord will not help you, how will I help you? Like, we are in a desperate situation here. From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Like, where where do you want me to help you from? There's, There's no way to help. The king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, this woman, imagine a woman here in distress with tears running down her face, clutching an, another woman saying, This woman said to me, Give me your son that we may eat him today. We'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. This is in the Bible. It ought to strike us as overwhelming. That that the conditions of this city have reached there. Now, listen to what it says. When the king heard the words of this woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. The king knows this is as bad as it has ever gotten. This is bad. Judgment is, is looming and coming and so he, he shreds his clothes to in, in an act of repentance he puts out sackcloth and ashes to, to stand before the Lord but listen, let me say this he's gotten the wrong message he thinks, oh these wicked people that, that judgment is coming because of the wickedness of what surrounds me but listen to what he just says next this is, what, this is what the king says he said, may God do so to me and more also if the head of Elijah, the son of Shephath, remains on his shoulders today. Famine is upon them. Judgment is coming. And you know what the king says? He says, I'm going to stack a murder on top of all the wickedness that, that we've committed. He does not he see the wickedness around him and say, I had better repent. I had better change my heart and my behavior, and my attitudes. No, instead he says, you know, I'm going to solve this problem by going and killing someone, and stacking murder upon murder. Romans 1.22 says that claiming to be wise, speaking of all humanity, claiming to be, to be wise. Think about all the arguments that are being made in the news right now about being on the right side of history, and on its finally time, and on, on let's move ahead and, and grant people their, their equal rights, Right? And I'm not, I'm not saying that we ought to be persecuting any individual group of people. But as our culture cheers and applauds behavior which dishonors God, we claim to be wise. And Romans one twenty two says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, listen to what comes next, because this is the point. This is why I read this horrible story. Verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to uh, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Describing homosexual behavior. Verse 28 Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Sin in the culture, dishonoring of God among a nation or a people in a town, in a city, brings judgment, but not judgment that comes out of heaven in fire first. The judgment that comes first is more sin and more sin and more sin and more sin until it is so utterly wicked that judgment then comes and the culture is torn down. The horrific sin in Sodom, which Lot is confronted with, comes because of the complete and total lack of holiness in the people. Cultural decline in our culture, or in any culture, comes because of a failure of culture. And when I say culture, that's just a fancy word for a whole bunch of people fail to honor the Lord in the way that they ought to. And so what we see here in Sodom is an in-your-face rejection of virtue. We have an an in-your-face mob saying, if you prevent us from doing what we want to do, we'll do worse to you. Now let us have your way. Seeing this culture, Lot should have long ago repented and run, moving out of Sodom, finding fellowship among Abraham's people, joining in their worship and honoring of God as imperfect as it is that he might not be tempted and be led astray. We need to be very careful as believers that our worldview and our influences are coming from the Word of God and not from the surrounding culture around us. That that we're not just absorbing the arguments of the world and slowly allowing our Christian worldview to be undermined. There's been an effect unlot. Christians are warned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, where it says, do not be deceived. Why does Paul say do not be deceived? He says it because on this very point, it is very easy for Christians to be deceived. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good's good morals. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. I, I can be among these people. I can, be, I can be salt and light. I can rule. I can, I can be involved in, in the governance and community life of this group and it not affect me. That is not true. Look at what he thinks is acceptable. He says, no, 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 my brothers identifying with them. I am, I am one of you. Do not do so wickedly. Here, take my daughters. This is horrible. Horrible. But the world will not be appeased with Lot's offering. The world rejects what opposes it. They say, no, 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 give us what we want. Unless we receive what we want, we'll do worse to you. As the cultural restraints fall in our Uh, in our community, in our country, nothing is going to restrain the advance of the world except change in hearts and minds of individuals who make up culture. We can, and I believe in some sense we should, pray, appeal to to legislators to to pass good law and to protect the individual uh, religious rights of, of people. But we must understand that unless hearts and minds change in our culture, nothing will change. Passing a law doesn't change a culture. It may, it may stop a specific crime or, or lead to some kind of restraint, but, but as the, the worldview moves further and further away from God, sin will increase. And so Christians are called not to love God, the world but to love the kingdom of god first first john uh, chapter 2 verse 15 do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of of life all which which fuels in to people saying i will do i'll do anything i want with my body i will not be restrained by god's prudish victorian old-fashioned commands we will not honor god the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life becomes rampant in a people and they do whatever they want i'm not specifically talking about the sin of homosexuality i'm speaking about all the sins that our culture just says that's okay it all ramps up into this this increasing Sense or this increasing timeline in terms of judgment. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Listen, the the message that we ought to receive from this text as we live in the middle of a a sinful culture is, take care. Take care. Care, lest you fall. Avoid the desire to be well thought of in the world. Avoid the desire to be respected by the world. Yes, a good reputation is good, but at what cost do we achieve it? It is good to have a good reputation as a reasonable, thoughtful person who who engages in in dialogue and doesn't just jump all over people as we engage a conversation we ought to listen we ought to discuss things with people and we ought to say why do you think the way that you do but let's make sure that that we do not attain a a reputation of respectability at the cost of not speaking up when the gospel is on the table of of not defending God's honor and God's right to require his creatures to live in a particular way. I think what we ought to do as believers in, in conversations, particularly about culturally sensitive issues, is question, question, question. Because often we do not understand what we're talking about fully. And we ought to speak in a humble way that offers up God's word and explains things and teaches and so, after we question, we ought to teach, teach, teach. Because there are many times that we encounter people who are completely ignorant about what our position is as believers. They have, they have no idea that the church as a whole ought to say to those who, who, who struggle with these desires or who are embracing them fully, we are both wicked and have offended the Lord. But you are loved by God and so you ought to repent. And I, I am wicked and I struggle. I am not better than you. I do not think that, that I, am, I am somehow superior to you. The Lord found me and saved me. Would you come too? You are loved by God. Repent. Instead of screaming as so many do. But we must reach a point after we have asked questions and after we have shared where we must speak the truth. For how will people understand the truth if it is not ever spoken? The truth of the word of God must be proclaimed. We must say judgment will come unless you repent And the same was true of me before I heard this message. And we must consistently, constantly, repetitively share the truth. We are called to call our culture, and by culture I mean a giant gathering of people, we're called to call them to task and to say, judgment is coming. Whether it is is the judgment of the whole world or of our whole culture, we don't know. But for each and every one of us, we will one day be held accountable for our sins. And God has made a way of escape. how, How can I say that we're called to call the whole culture to account? Psalm 210. The psalmist says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. We can say to our wider culture as a whole, here is how you are going astray. We understand you you will not like it, nor will you likely accept it, but this is the truth as we see it. We say it in love. Repent. You will be rejected in our culture today for sharing this message by some. You might be surprised when someone says, you know what, I agree with you. And you may encounter those whom the Lord works in their hearts and they say, you are right. Take hurt and rejection to God. Plead the case of sinners around you, knowing that you too are a sinner and that you were lost and hurting and there, but for the grace of God, go you and take heed lest you fall in our culture. When Isaiah sees the Lord, while he is in the temple and he sees the Lord high and lifted up in all of his glory and the foundation of the temple shakes and he hears the creatures crying out, holy, 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 you know what he does not say? He does not say, oh good, finally you're going to do something because here I am so good in the midst of this, this wicked culture and I've been waiting for you to do something, please. Please. Give me a message that I might take to the people. No, Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips and a culture of unclean lips. And I think that's the way we need to respond to the Lord when we hear the preaching of the gospel. We ought to say, I too am wicked. And I live in the midst of a wicked culture that needs to return to the Lord. And so we speak from that vantage point as sinful ambassadors made right by the work of the Lord made right with the Lord by his work understanding it is not from us it's not because we're smarter more attractive better funded no we go and we say as sinners who have made peace with the Lord we urge you to make peace with the Lord I I believe that, that that there are a whole wave of churches and denominations that are going to be crushed by the cultural tsunami that's coming Uh, and discussing uh, issues of, of acceptance on this issue and discussing issues of, of evolution and creation with with some uh, fellow pastors who are who are very sympathetic to the culture on these issues at one point I said to to a, a guy I was drinking coffee with i said so so you think no judgment to anybody on these issues you think you're, that, they're, that they're fine with God and that there's no need to to Change, to repent, to make right with the Lord, and to, to live a different kind of life? And he said, No. And I said, On what basis do we have right reaction or right relationship with the Lord? And he said, Well, the resurrection of Jesus. And I said, Let me let me point something out to you. Have you not figured this out that when you make this concession to the culture and then you say, We believe in the resurrection, do you think they're not going to say to you, you're stupid? because they're going to they're going to they may, they may make friends with you now and say good job getting in line and doing what we're telling you to do and adopting and changing your morality to suit us but when the resurrection gets in their way they will say change that too and so as believers we need to be very careful that we position ourselves right and say look we are not smarter better we just know that this is God's word. It has changed us. We know that it is true. We're inviting you to change too because you are loved by God who will take your sins and offenses against him my sins and offenses are great and heinous in the sight of the Lord but he takes them and he puts them on Christ and he crushes Christ for me and he takes away the offense of my sin the 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 judgment that should come upon me and I'm freed and so knowing my own tendencies and knowing how I fail I choose out of gratitude to run in the way of the Lord coming before him i confess my sins and i say thank you for being gracious to me and he will welcome you as well will you come with him they may say yes or no but that is the ground that we stand on when we minister to our surrounding culture we ought to run from compromise and compromising the message of the lord but we also ought to run to run from judgment i'm going to go for it and try to finish everything right now all right the angels, the messengers, the men say to Lot, bring them out, bring out anyone you have in this city. And so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, his future sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But they were like, that's hysterical, right? April fools. What are you talking about, man? i think I think it's possible that they did not fear the Lord because they saw Lot's compromise before them. They saw him at peace in Sodom and at peace with the morality of sodom the 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 dirty business deals the um the the, the judgments which were given in favor of the rich and which took advantage of the poor you know the 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 using of different weights to to fix the market in the favor of whoever is selling. They they saw Lot's toleration of all of that. And they did not fear the Lord. Now you may react inside and say, say, How do I how do I live in this way before my kids and my culture? Because I'm I, I struggle, I'm a sinner, I'm not holy. I say this be regularly repentant in front of your family. Be regularly repentant at work if you mess up and sin. Go to your boss and say, you know what? I, I was wrong here, and I'm sorry for that. Don't maintain your perfect moral character constantly if you have none and you fail in some way. Now, you ought to be a person of integrity, and your yes ought to be yes, and your no ought to be no. You ought not tell lies. You ought not steal. You ought not gossip. But when something comes out of your mouth that's dumb, you can just say, hey, that was dumb, and I'm really sorry. Or when you fail, don't hide it under a a giant stack of other printouts and be like, you know, let's just never expose. Just be like, hey, I messed up. Walk with integrity that people might see what a person who walks with integrity looks like. Christianity does not mean we live perfect lives. It means that someone's perfection has been applied to us. You're supposed to be holy. Yes, that's true. But because I cannot be completely and utterly holy, God gave me the holiness of Christ. And that's where I stand. And make sure that you teach. Listen, there is a reason why I say we a lot. Where I say may we, and I say we ought to, and we should. Because I never want you to to hear me standing up here saying I have got it all together if you guys would just read your bibles more and pray a little bit more you'd have it all together I don't ever want you to hear that I want you to hear my pastor is a sinner like me and he struggles and he runs after Christ that's that's my hope is what what you're hearing teach explain Christians hate people right no we do not we do not And then explain the difference between calling people to account and and repenting and hate. Do it. Share. Correct. Share your perspective. But make sure in all of that that you never become so comfortable in the world that you compromise and cave in the face of the culture. I want to point out to you the the ridiculous response in terms of the merciful call of God that that Lot engages here. Just a couple moments. Lot loves the world. He loves the world. And and with, with, with judgment coming down on him, he needs to be corrected and shaken out of his love for the world. He is told to run. And chapter 19, verse 16 says, But he lingered. He had a casual indifference to the things of the Lord. Make sure that that hearing the truth, you do not have a casual indifference to the things of the Lord. What do I mean? I do do not mean to say that you do not have a, a strong faith or a strong belief in the essentials of the faith. But it can become very easy to be deceived on certain things. Boy, someday we ought to have a sermon on dealing with explosive anger I really need that that would be good yes we probably should but don't wait don't wait for the, the, the leadership of the church or your, your Sunday school leader or your small group leader to get around to it don't be indifferent to the, the struggle that's going on within you and your need for repentance in order to escape judgment repent repent go to somebody and say hey I got this anger problem Get to work on it. Don't be casually indifferent. I believe that that more Christians shipwreck their faith because of casual indifference than because of active rebellion. They just kind of drift away. They just float off because of the accumulation of neglect. God is merciful and good. It says that the men, these are the angels, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. They're like, well, you're not, you're not moving? We're going we're gonna to kick you out the door. Off we go. Let's go. Get out of the city. The mercy of the Lord exposes our sins. It brings discipline on us. The reason why we suffer sometimes is because of the, the merciful discipline of the Lord saying, change, be shaped, repent leave this behind conviction comes down on us and crushes us so that we might cry out for mercy and say deliver me shape me help me and that truly is the most loving thing that God can do is to hurt us until we realize that we're running in the wrong direction he lingered he whined Verses 18 through 20 seem to me to be so absurd. You, you're told judgment is coming from the Lord. The whole city is going to be destroyed and you had better get here. And he's like, I have to go that far? No, you'd rather die in a fiery inferno as the judgment of God rains down. Oh, you know, I don't have the right footwear for this. I haven't, I haven't been exercising regularly. I'm not, I'm not well hydrated. Do what? You want me to repent of how many sins? You want me to leave something behind? You're being saved graciously by the mercy of God from the heinous wickedness of millions of sins. And you don't want to run. What is wrong with you, Lot? Stop whining and run. And then we see third that Lot's wife resented being torn from Sodom. She looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus, speaking about running from sin, he says all kinds of memorable things in in different Gospels. He says, pluck out your eyeball, right? Cut off your hand, he says, that kind of thing. Um, But but he's speaking about judgment coming. Luke 17, 31, he says, On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. He says, "When, when judgment comes, run from it. And then he says... Remember Lot's wife. So one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Luke 17, 32. Everything will be burned up. And so as believers, we ought to see judgment coming on our culture. We ought to see judgment pounding down on on people around us and and say, I will not love the world so much that I will not repent and give up everything to have Christ. Remember Lot's wife. Remember that judgment come. I'm going I'm to pray and close there, but actually I'm going I'm to say one more thing. Say one more thing. Lot runs. And it says in verse 29, so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Abraham Prayed by speaking out loud to the Lord who was in front of him. Abraham prayed. And he said, knowing that Lot was there, what if there are this many people in there? Will you, will you not destroy the city? Will you save the city? Will you, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? God heard the prayers of Abraham. And God saved Lot. The logic of Jesus... When, when the religious people saw tax collectors and sinners coming to Jesus, they said, how dare Jesus stain himself by speaking to and, and being with those people? Doesn't he know who they are? And Jesus told the tale of the prodigal son, which is that God stretches out his arms to wicked, sinful people and says, come home, come home, come home. And that ought to be our attitude as well. When we consider the the people around us, instead of wagging our, our, our heads and judging internally and thinking, oh, these people at work are not saved, they're not interested, they don't know, we should be praying for them. Praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. You can do a whole lot of praying. And then, when you get an opportunity that, that narrow into to share some of the things of the Lord, we ought to be saying, You got a little bit less opportunity than you got to pray. You got tons of time to pray. Pray for those who are lost. And then speak when you get an opportunity. And, and speak wisely. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities are you burdened for a lost and dying world are you sharing the truth of the gospel with them are you repenting and running from judgment and not just accumulating sins upon yourself flee to the lord flee in the city let's close in prayer father we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning i thank you for my brothers and sisters Father, I pray, I pray that we would receive the message from this text and that we would see that this is more a story about Lot's compromise and failure in the face of the wickedness of the city than it is a story that speaks to what's going on around us in our culture. May we not say, oh look, America is Sodom and miss the point. May we say that every city in the world is sinful and fallen, and that we all need to repent and turn to the Lord and be changed and transformed by the righteousness of Christ. May we humbly receive that, posture ourselves as as those who need to speak. Lovingly, truthfully, regularly, forcefully, but overall lovingly in the name of a God who calls sinners to Himself. May we identify ourselves as sinners saved by grace. May we share as ambassadors of the good news of the Gospel. Father, we pray this. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.